Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 5 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 6, Episodes 1, 2, 3 and 4 for the previous parts of this five-part case. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. A fascination with horror seems an inescapable facet of human nature and the trial of Rosemary West is an international story. Audiences around the world have been gripped by the drama unfolding in Winchester's court number three. Drama sparked by one of Britain's largest ever police investigations. It's certainly the biggest story that, since I've been here in 33 years, and uh, it goes on and on, and it looks as if it's going to persist even further. Oh, it's just so evil what's gone on. You can't believe it's gone on in this day and age, like Jack the Ripper. You know, it's horrible. She must have known what was going on. She must have been part of it. All happened in the same house. Her husband was doing it. She must have known. She must have been involved, I guess. It's hard to believe that um, she knew nothing about it, but it's right in her house. That's... On Tuesday, November 21st, 1995, after two days of deliberation, 
the jury had finally made some progress on the murder charges they were considering. There were ten in all, but so far jurors were only able to reach verdicts for two of them. The accused Rose West stood in the dock. Tears hung heavy in her eyes. It felt like the onlookers in the public gallery were in a state of suspended animation. No movement, no sound other than the voice from the foreman of the jury. Rose was visibly shocked by what they were saying. She almost collapsed into the arms of the prison guards that surrounded her. She was found guilty of murdering her daughter Heather and Fred's stepdaughter Charmaine. The seven men and four women of the jury had been unsuccessful when they first tried to reach verdicts for the remaining murder charges, so they returned to private quarters for further deliberation. It did not take more than an hour when the court reconvened. In the jury room, the verdict of another murder charge had been decided. Rose West was found guilty of the murder of Shirley Ann Robinson. The 18-year-old was heavily pregnant when she was killed in 1978. Fred West was the baby's father. Rose did not seem faced barely registering any sign of what she had heard when the verdict was read aloud. But the evidence on her face told a different story. Her eyes looked swollen and red. No tears came in the courtroom. It was only when she was heading to her cell out of earshot of the public gallery, she again began to cry. As the jury was still no further forward, unable to reach unanimous verdicts for the seven other charges, they would be staying overnight at a hotel before reconvening the next day. On November 22, 1995, into the third day of deliberations, weighing up the evidence that had been presented in court, across a trial that lasted nearly two months and involved roughly 13 hours of reflection, the jury foreman delivered the remaining verdicts. On that final day, the judge was asked several questions by jurors about the evidence that had been presented. When reaching a verdict, could they consider the testimony from the multiple women who had testified about their sexual attacks, even if they were not directly linked to the murders? And could they find Rose West guilty of multiple counts of murder, even if the evidence was all circumstantial? The judge replied yes to each question, 
telling jurors that they should only base their decisions on what they had heard from the prosecution and defence. When the jury returned, everyone in the courtroom stood up to hear the verdicts. Each was unanimous. Rose West stood motionless, as if she had purposefully cut herself off from what was going on around her. The outcome was greeted by loud cheers from the public gallery. Rose West was found guilty on seven further charges. She was convicted of murdering Linda Goff, Carol Ann Cooper, Lucy Partington, Therese Siegenthaler, Shirley Hubbard, Juanita Mott, and Dallison Chambers. Before she was led away, the judge told Rose that she was facing ten life sentences, and if attention was paid to what he thought, she would never be released. It has held its secrets for over 20 years, but with today's verdict, the full story of 25 Cromwell Street can be told. Serial killer Rosemary West will be spending the rest of her life in jail. She's been found guilty of murdering 10 young women and girls, including her teenage daughter Heather and her eight-year-old stepdaughter Charmaine. It makes her the most prolific female serial killer in British criminal history. But some researchers believe that the Rosemary West case, unusual though it is, forces a reappraisal of women who actively plan and commit murder. The West's victims came from far and wide. They were snared by a seemingly innocent couple in an ordinary car who would offer them a lift. The couple had already been convicted of a sexual assault on a former nanny who they'd picked up, bound with tape in a similar way to that found on the murder victims, and then subjected to a horrific attack, with Rose West taking a leading part. They even told a neighbour about picking up women together after she'd been babysitting for them. She said um, it makes it easier for the victim if they go and pick up a girl because Rose is with them. She doesn't hesitate to say no because there's a woman and a, and a bloke in a van. The judge, Mr Justice Mantell, told the jury after the verdicts. You will never have had a more important job to do in your lives. I am fully aware of the sacrifices each one of you has made in giving your time and great effort in helping to decide this case. I am also aware of the great stress that it must have placed each of you under. You deserve my thanks and your countries for the part you have played. If it is what you wish, but only if it is what you wish, you are excused from ever serving on a jury again. As Rose West was being driven to prison to start her sentence, 
as solicitor Leo Goatley had some stern words for the press. He did not feel Rose received a fair trial. My client is totally devastated. She wept uncontrollably after hearing the verdict of the jury. She continues to maintain her innocence and retains the love and support of her children. I must state on behalf of the defence team and my client a very real concern which I've no doubt is also shared with all concerned in the conduct of this trial. That concern, of course, relates to the role of the press and media. It is perhaps inevitable that a case such as this would attract extensive and widespread press interest. Our law recognises and reflects the need to balance the interests of the defendant in proceedings against that of freedom of expression. However, freedom of expression and the right of the public to know does not include the intrusive press activity that has blighted these proceedings. No sooner was the ink dry on the newspaper headlines recounting the verdicts. Questions were asked about how this could have possibly happened. How could so many children, teenagers and young women be abused and murdered and the authorities did not connect the dots? Some of the victims' family members reported their loved ones missing. Sizeable investigations were undertaken and the media were engaged. Still, not all of the victims had someone looking for them. It could be argued an investigation into a missing person is challenging, as an adult is free to disappear if they wish, when there is no legal requirement that they communicate with a loved one. But how did the actions of Fred and Rose West go undetected for such a substantial period of time? Why did it take so long to realise some of the children were missing? Senior Investigating Officer Detective Superintendent John Bennett was interviewed. The very nature of the investigation and the horrors of it, it is very hard to comprehend that somebody you were talking to could be involved in such matters. It's not a normal thing for me to deal with or for any police officer. And with that knowledge in mind, it's very difficult to give an assessment because you're not dealing with the person or the personality when you're actually talking to that individual. You were talking to a Jekyll and Hyde. And they always had the perfect answers. Uh, when one or more of the victims uh, that were associated with the family, for example, Heather, when she left home, she'd gone away. Um, and they were in communication with her. So nobody thought there was anything, any problem. And you could follow that through with a number of the others, including Charmaine, right at the beginning. Charmaine had gone off with her mother. We know that wasn't the case. Uh, so there was always a convenient answer, and that is the reason why it's went on for so long. The records held by both Gloucester City Council and Gloucestershire County Council were reviewed. A visit to Cromwell Street was undertaken in 1988, after an anonymous complaint was made to social services although detailed records of what was said and the corresponding visit could not be found. 
A year later, an NSPCC referral was made to social services, but like in 1988, it was never followed up. One of the West children even reported that they felt unsafe in their home. This information was forwarded to the local authority, but nothing was done despite both Fred and Rose West being convicted of indecent assault and actual bodily harm and there was also Fred's failed rape prosecution. Fred was 19 when he was accused of attacking a young girl over a period of months. At the West School, friends would later recall seeing bruises on her body, areas that were visible when she wore a T-shirt and shorts. The marks covered the outside of her arms as if she was being held by a pair of hands, and there was severe bruising on the inside of her thighs. Former students at Heather's school spoke with the press and said that the information was reported to the faculty. Heather's sister May also raised the topic with her teachers, but she too could get no one to listen. There are no records that these complaints were ever followed up. Furthermore, there is no single record of Fred and Rose West ever attending a parents' evening for May West. Like her sister, May also never wanted to be involved in physical education at school as she was reluctant to undress in the showers. This behaviour was never investigated or recorded by the faculty. no child protection service in the United Kingdom in the then state of knowledge and the procedures which then applied could have anticipated or avoided this terrible set of tragedies. Most child protection services are trying to deal with child abuse, which is physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. What they are not looking for, and no one could have expected them to look for, is that here was a family within which 12 murders occurred. That is unique and totally outside of the experience of child protection services in this country. Now, there wasn't a social service department in 1972, it was a children's department. And what reason would there have been at that time to pass on that information? The answer is there would be no reason. Now, if you pose the question, would it be different in 1995? <coughs> would a police investigation team uh, having a similar case in, to the Caroline Owens case, would they have talk to colleagues in the social services? The answer is almost certainly going to be yes, they would. In their defence, Gloucestershire County Council was quick to address the issues. The council did acknowledge that when all of the family's records were read as a whole, it highlighted child protection concerns. But a spokesperson stated that it was only with hindsight that they could know that serial killers were among them. May and Steve and two of the West's children had sold their stories to the News of the World newspaper, so had been unable to testify at the trial about what happened in their childhood. Trying to understand how all the abuse was missed, the children's medical records were poured over. Members of the family were all treated for thrush at the same time and one of the younger children needed to be given antibiotics for gonorrhea. There were numerous accidents and deep scratches which required treatment, 
and Anne-Marie was admitted to the hospital with vaginal injuries. Her parents told physicians they were from an accident on her bicycle, although this too was never followed up. It was not until 1992 that the five youngest West children were taken into care following a complaint that one of them was being sexually abused by their father. This is what led the police to want to learn more about the family and the reasons why Heather could not be located. Rose West's younger brother and uncle to her children said to reporter Tanya Sillam, I take a lot of blame myself, and my whole family does, but not all of it. Surely there was someone out there, social, welfare, school teachers, no end of people who could or should have done something. The County Council commissioned an independent consultancy firm to review the circumstances of the West case. The conclusion of their report reads as follows. The circumstances are unique and quite extraordinary. The tragedy of 12 murders, however, should not overshadow the fact that the surviving children have had the most dreadful experiences. They have lived in the shadow of the murder of two sisters and ten other people. It should be remembered that it was the prompt action of social services and police in 1992 which removed the children from those appalling circumstances. Events going back more than 30 years leave the Gloucestershire authorities open to criticism that they failed to act. These two went to extraordinary lengths to prevent detection. And I think we need to keep that in mind uh, and not look uh, and try and second-guess people who were perhaps doing the best they could in difficult circumstances in the, in the past. But what many find even more surprising is that no connection appears to have been made between the disappearances and the series of sex attacks around the streets of Gloucester at about the same time. At least six women reported to the police that they'd been the victims of abduction or attempted abduction, and they described their attacker. But it wasn't until Fred West's picture began to appear in newspapers and television after what was discovered here at Cromwell Street that both they and the police were able to put a name to the face which had haunted them over the years. Arguments will persist about whether the Gloucestershire agencies could or should have done more in the 70s and 80s. What is worrying is that young people living transient lives are in as much danger now as when Frederick and Rosemary West began preying on young women. With the trial of Rose West now at an end, the police still had a great deal of work to do. During the investigation, they attempted to catalogue every person who either stayed or frequently visited 25 Cromwell Street. Nine women were identified, who detectives could prove had visited the property. However, at the time, they could not obtain any evidence that these women were still alive. That said, although there was no proof of life, there was no evidence they had met with foul play, not least at the hands of Fred and Rose West. 
The Gloucestershire Constabulary wanted to confirm that the women who appeared to share a number of similar characteristics were safe and well. Four had been seen at the address in 1973. A blonde-haired young woman who spoke with a Scandinavian accent in her late teens or early adulthood. An 18-year-old called Marilyn with blonde hair. A teenager with an American accent possibly named Donna Lynn Moore. And a woman also called Marilyn in her late 30s, who it was believed was a devout Christian. One woman had been at the address in 1975. A handout pictured a brunette with full cheeks. Three women had been recorded or known to frequent the address in the late 70s. An individual named Ingrid with a German accent. She was 18 years old. A woman whose name was unknown in early adulthood and an individual from Holland, possibly called Marika or Marikia. And finally, a student possibly called Maria Anne, who visited Cromwell Street in the early 90s. She had blonde hair. An appeal to the public was made, and descriptions of the missing women were issued. A hotline was also set up in the hope that someone might be able to provide the answers and help prove that these women were not further victims of Fred and Rose West. Over Christmas and the New Year, 130 calls were received in the incident room. It was bedsit land, you know. You'd see a girl there the one day, and there's mostly young women that were living in the flats, in the bedsits. So they were like, here, two or three months they might stay, a couple of weeks here, gone, gone one, gone one. So it was very hard. It was just like they moved on. May not be any more victims. That is, there's nothing certain in that, and I think that hopefully that is the case. All investigations are open and unknown. You don't ever really know the whole story in any inquiry. By the start of 1996, three of the missing women who had links to 25 Cromwell Street were tracked down by the constabulary. The good news came when it was confirmed that none of them had been harmed, although they did not wish to provide a statement, nor did they want to be identified. The news that at least some of the missing women had been tracked down was a relief to many. However, the repercussions of Fred and Rose West's harrowing actions were not just being felt by their victims, but also people the couple knew. Terry Crick, who had once stayed with Fred and Rose at Cromwell Street and was even told by Fred that he was setting up a, quote, backstreet abortionists, struggled to come to terms with what had happened. You show me these pictures and, and, and some abortion equipment. He said that if I knew any girls who, who wanted an abortion, you know, he'd give me a, a few quid if I brought them out to him, like, you know. Crick spoke with the press and described how he was haunted by the events. After the trial, he said, 
Perhaps I can give a sigh of relief. But I'm sure that there are more bodies. Terry Crick had gone to the police 20 years earlier and reported his concerns about what was going on at Cromwell Street. But no action was taken. Crick blamed himself for not appearing to be someone of exemplary character and he felt if he was, the police would have done more. He had struggled with his mental health and had addiction issues. Terry Crick also considered that some officials in the police force would often visit Rose at Cromwell Street and Fred was somehow providing them with information about criminal activities in the area so they refused to take action. The rumour that Fred West was a police informant has been repeated in numerous articles, although these claims would be dismissed by the authorities. In January 1996, Terry Crick drove out to a secluded area of Scarborough, and took his own life. Sadly, he had felt in some way responsible for what happened, although Terry Crick was not to blame. The only people responsible were Fred and Rose West. The cold and dark of winter passed, and as the frost-covered branches saw their first signs of life, Rose West sought to appeal her conviction. Everyone don't like her, and I say. But I think she's got a bit of a nerve uh, appealing. I mean, uh, you can't live in a house of that size with all that going on and not know anything about it. Impossible, isn't it? Impossible. But I think it's actually a waste of time that she she do it, because in my opinion, she got what she deserves. If not, she should get more. There were several arguments by Rose West's counsel. The judge's summary of the case. Witnesses being coached by the press who had paid them large sums of money and what the defence counsel referred to as a lack of evidence. According to Richard Ferguson QC, he also alleged the media were a, quote, malign influence on the proceedings. In spite of her incarceration, Rose West did not seem as though she was totally unhappy with her new living arrangements in Durham Prison. In March, her son Stephen, who had been a strong supporter of his mother, appeared to have a change of heart, not least since the verdict. He did not think she should be released. I wonder whether, you know, whether you can call it being punished at all. I mean, the only thing they take away is your freedom and that's it because she's, you know, she's able to watch TV, she um, goes to classes, she's doing an English degree, um, and she makes toys. um, So she's got a lot of freedom around the prison, and, you know, she, all right, she's locked up 24 hours a day, but, you know, she hasn't got nothing outside, so what she's got inside, you know, is pretty good for her. According to Stephen West, his mother's notoriety had made life easy because everyone was afraid of her. 
just over a day of legal arguments were heard in March 1996. Richard Ferguson QC told the appeal judges that the evidence against his client was virtually non-existent, referring to the fact that the case was entirely circumstantial. Most of the prosecution's witnesses received some form of payment from the media for an interview. According to Ferguson, that could very well have influenced what they said. Perhaps it was pondered. They embellished the truth to make their accounts more appealing, for which they would receive a significant financial reward. Ferguson was also of the belief that the judge had misdirected the jury inaccurately summarising the defence's case and wrongly allowing inadmissible evidence. Ferguson was insistent that Fred West acted alone and his client was innocent of the crimes for which she was charged. Brian Leveson QC, who led the prosecution at the trial, made it clear that all the information on payments made to the witnesses from the press publishers and television production companies were provided to the defence in open court. Leveson said he was not defending how the media conducted themselves and had even referred the matter to the Attorney General, but the process of what was provided to whom was transparent throughout the legal proceedings, even though one of the witnesses had not initially admitted it on the stand. In Leveson's mind, the details provided to the court, both the circumstantial evidence that tied the defendant to the murders, and although not directly linked to the events themselves, testimony from the survivors subjected to sexual attacks by the couple, proved that Rose West was involved. The prosecutor felt the jury had spoken when they reached guilty verdicts on all ten counts of murder. Mr Justice Newman, Mr Justice Mitchell and Lord Chief Justice Lord Taylor thoroughly reviewed the arguments, although the timely manner in which they handed down their ruling was possibly an indicator as to the way they felt. They took 15 minutes. Rose West's application for leave to appeal was rejected. She was told the matter would only be reconsidered if new evidence was identified. Detective Superintendent John Bennett, who led the inquiry, was satisfied with the outcome. We are very pleased that the judicial process has come to an end, and perhaps now the families of the victims can be allowed to live their lives and put all these tragic problems behind them. At the start of that summer, the dark days of the trial still cast a long and terrible shadow. Three months after Rose West was told her appeal had failed, an inquest confirmed what most already knew. In his cell at Winston Green Prison, Fred West had taken his own life on January 1st, 1995. He was 53 years old. 
Coroner Richard Whittington said that a number of factors likely contributed to West's decision. The multiple murder charges he was facing, lack of contact with his family, and the upcoming trial. Those people at the inquest were told Fred did, however, seem polite and happy before his death. The governor of the prison offered evidence and said that although an inmate can be watched 24-7 and any unsafe items confiscated, if a prisoner is determined enough, there is no way of ensuring that someone would never attempt to take their own life. Several letters written to Rose West were found in her husband's cell, all of which were read at the inquest. A letter composed for Rose on December 12, 1994, read in part, As in life, as in death, our love will never die. Rose, I will live forever in heaven. I will wait for you, darling. So please come to me. You know I love you only, and you love me only, and you will become a widow. I love you, darling. Almost exactly a year to the day from Rose West's trial, the procedure to demolish 25 Cromwell Street was underway. Some souvenir hunters with a fascination for the macabre were frequently stealing pieces of the building. Gloucestershire City Council confirmed that every remaining piece of 25 Cromwell Street would be pulverised or melted down and disposed of in several undisclosed locations then covered with concrete. The sale of the land would be put into trust for the surviving West's children, some of whom had been put into care in the early 1990s. A walkway lined with bushes was eventually built in its place. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Although 25 Cromwell Street was now nothing more than rubble and dust, the impact of what went on in that house was still being felt. In May 1994, before Fred West's death, John, his younger brother, was arrested and charged with multiple counts of rape. Conditions of his bail meant he had been required to sign in at a police station every week which continued for around 18 months before legal proceedings commenced. The identities of the two survivors were not originally disclosed as they were only children at the time. But waiving her right to anonymity, one of the victims was Anne-Marie, Fred's eldest daughter from his first marriage to Rena Costello. John West's trial took place at the end of November 1996. A year since her stepmother was convicted of ten counts of murder, before a jury at Bristol Crown Court, Anne-Marie again provided evidence of a prolonged period of abuse. She alleged that her uncle, John West, raped her approximately 300 times through the 1970s. The attack started when she was aged between 10 and 11 years old. Anna-Marie stated that the rapes occurred twice, maybe three times a week, until she managed to flee the address. Brian Levison QC, who prosecuted the case against Rose West, again acted on behalf of the Crown. He questioned Anne-Marie about what happened. She told the court that she informed her stepmother about what was going on, but Rose just laughed it off. Anne-Marie had previously testified that she was raped by her father and stepmother, when she was eight years old. 
she was then forced into sex work by her parents. Although Anne-Marie did not realise that she was being subjected to coercive control or sexual abuse, as this was the environment she was brought up in. Anne-Marie also described being raped by other unknown men, something her father and stepmother were aware of. A second victim testified and told the court that she was playing in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street. Her name was not revealed because of her age. The charge sheet indicates she was between seven to eight years old. John West called her over and took her inside. It was alleged that she was raped in the house, but West told her if she kept quiet, he would pay her. Janet Leach, Fred West's appropriate adult, claimed that she was told by Fred that he was killing with other men. This apparently included Fred's brother, John. But during the series of confessions, which were often rambling, Fred West made a variety of claims. Most were found to be blatantly untrue. Although Fred and John were close in the 70s, They had since fallen out, and it was suggested that Fred West was looking to blame someone else for his crimes. Detective Superintendent John Bennett, who had been involved in the investigation at 25 Cromwell Street, said there was no evidence whatsoever, apart from Fred's comments, that linked his brother John West to any of the murders. We deal in evidence not speculation, D.S. Bennett reportedly said. The judge, Mr. Justice Cresswell, made it clear that there was no proof that John West knew what was going on at 25 Cromwell Street. John West should not be tried in connection with what his brother and his brother's wife did, the judge remarked. He should only be tried on the crimes he was being charged with. According to Nigel Pascoe QC acting for the defence, his client was innocent and the victims were lying. Many of John West's friends did not believe he could have committed the crimes he was being accused of. They said this was not the man they knew. He was described as a caring grandfather and a gentle giant. John West was resolute that he was innocent and could not understand why he was being accused of either somehow being involved in the murders at Cromwell Street or charged with multiple counts of raping children. Closing remarks were heard and the jury were to deliberate the next day. John West was granted bail and he returned home the day before the verdict.
the evening before John West would learn his fate. His wife found him in the garage of their home in Gloucester. After his body was cut down, a neighbour tried to resuscitate him. But it was no use. Like his brother, John West hung himself. He did not leave a note behind for his loved ones. Connor's been informed of this death. It's not being treated as suspicious. The family now have identified the person to be John West and the coroner will be making inquiries tomorrow morning. It was just like somebody kicking you in the stomach, hadn't it? He should have waited to see what the verdict come in. If he was guilty, well, I mean, that was up to the 12 members of the jury, hadn't it? This morning at Bristol Crown Court, the case against John West was formally concluded. The judge, Mr Justice Cresswell, then ordered that the indictment against West be declared of no legal effect, and the file closed. At an inquest, it was later concluded that John West took his life because of the stress he was under, not only being associated with his brother Fred, but the impending verdict of his trial. Over the next two decades, a string of wider family members to both Fred and Rose West would find themselves before the courts all for crimes that continue to perpetrate the ongoing horror of what had come before. As history repeated itself and akin to his brother Fred, John West never saw a jury pass judgment on the crimes it was alleged he had committed, whatever the outcome may have been. But Fred West's cousin would be alive to experience it for himself. William John Hill had been a regular at 25 Cromwell Street. At Birmingham Crown Court, Hill was found guilty of one count of rape and multiple counts of indecent assault against children between 1976 and 1984. The attacks did not, however, take place at Cromwell Street, but at Hill's home in the village of March Markle where Fred West was raised. William Hill, who had three children of his own, was sentenced to four years in prison. Somewhat surprisingly, Stephen West, son of Fred and Rose, was also sent to prison for nine months at the end of 2004. He admitted to seven charges of unlawful sexual intercourse. One charge of sexual activity with a child would lie on file. The girl, who had only just turned 14, became pregnant, and Stephen West, who was then in his early 30s and, like his father, worked as a builder, took the teenager to a clinic to terminate the pregnancy. A report was made to the police when the victim's friend discovered what had happened. An investigation was undertaken and the home of Stephen West was searched. A diary was subsequently found in which he had documented the events. 
The judge Michael Mott remarked that he recognised what Stephen West had been through during his childhood. Still, it was scant mitigation in the circumstances. The judge told the court that he did not believe West, quote, groomed the victim, despite her age, and accepted that the defendant was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Stephen West attempted to end his life in 2002. But the crime was of such seriousness that the judge Michael Mott felt a custodial sentence must be handed down. Stephen West would not be allowed to work or live where children were present and was barred from contacting the victim. Almost nine years later in a crown court in Gloucester, Rose West's nephew Stephen Letts was also facing charges relating to the abduction and rape of a child on March 6, 2017. Letts pleaded not guilty to both charges. Stephen Letts met a 12-year-old when she asked for a cigarette during a chance meeting on the street. Letts, who was 38 at the time, was told by the girl's social worker that she was underage. Regardless, Letts convinced her to meet up later. The 12-year-old bravely recounted the horrific experience in court, during which time she described being given cocaine, cannabis and vodka. She detailed the physical pain of what she went through, although she said she was afraid to tell her attacker to stop, as he had given her drugs and alcohol. The attack was only reported after she spoke with her social worker and queried how long it would be until she could find out if she was pregnant. In his own defence, Stephen Letts remarked that he offered the young girl drugs to, quote, see how her body copes with it. That night, Letts was also directly told by the victim that she was underage although she explained that she was 15 rather than 12, something the defendant saw as mitigation in his circumstances. Stephen Letts could not deny what happened. He was forensically linked to the victim after his DNA was found following an examination. Letts claimed the victim provided consent willingly but there was no way she could give consent as she was 12 years old. After consuming a mix of drugs and alcohol, the child felt tired and collapsed on Let's bed. He followed her, cuddling her under the sheets. Furthermore, Letts had also been responsible for aggravated burglary in a separate incident when he threatened a family with a knife. His criminal record also included theft, possessing a knife in a public place, handling stolen goods, drug possession and breaching bail conditions. 
the jury took 90 minutes to reach a decision and found Stephen Letts guilty of all charges. Letts refused to attend court to face his sentence and instead appeared via video link. His microphone had to be switched off when he began to scream and shout at the judge. Stephen Letts was sentenced to 18 years in prison and would be added to the sex offenders register. The devastating effects of Fred and Rose West's actions were no doubt far-reaching and so many lives were taken. However, it appeared as though even after Fred's death and Rose's incarceration, there might be more secrets to unearth. In 2019... A documentary was produced for British television channel ITV titled Fred and Rose West, The Real Story with Sir Trevor MacDonald. The programme recounted the facts of the case but focused on Rose and her level of culpability. A few years later, as work was being done filming a follow-up in a business formerly known as the Pop-In Café, the crew found some blue material which they believe needed to be investigated. Mary Bastome had been wearing a blue coat when she was last seen. The 15-year-old worked in the Pop-In Cafe before her disappearance in the late 1960s. It was the same place where it was believed Anne McFall, the first of Fred West's known victims, had also found employment. According to Janet Leach, Fred West confessed to killing Mary and had been working near the cafe. There are rumours that Fred West had done work to the building. There has never been any evidence to prove this. Also, Fred met Rose a year earlier, so there are theories that perhaps Mary Bastome was the couple's first victim. An abduction would have been difficult if Fred had acted alone, although it was not impossible for him to coerce someone into his car, as he had attacked other women this way. Before his death, Fred West admitted to his son that he killed Mary Bastime, although in subsequent interviews with the police, he denied that he had anything to do with it. When experts arrived at the cafe in May 2021 to carry out analysis on the area, they found what they referred to as structural anomalies. There appeared to be six voids in the basement floor. Using similar tools to those employed to scan 25 Cromwell Street, it was felt that further examination was needed and forensic archaeologists should excavate the area. The probe lasted just over a week, but despite the efforts of the search team, there were no signs a crime had been committed. The blue material discovered was analysed 
and it was found to be part of a piece of piping. Mary Bastome's disappearance still remains a mystery to this day. So where are we now? Rose West is still serving her sentence, reportedly being held behind bars in HMP Newhall in West Yorkshire. In July 1997, she was told by the Home Secretary that she was to be placed on a life tariff and would never be released. The crimes that Fred West and his wife Rose committed were insidious, shocking and heartbreaking. Their impact is still felt today. They leave behind a scar in time so long and so terrible that few in the United Kingdom are unaware of who they are. Despite the task being near insurmountable, like holding up a candle to illuminate the sky in the dead of night, There seems to be a desire to understand. Journalist and author Nikki Gerrard wrote an opinion piece shortly before she was due to start covering the Rose West trial, raising this very topic. Quote, With all serial murderers after visceral horror, the initial questions are who, and with this who fear creeps in, and how. How brings in guilt and a sense of responsibility. How could this have happened? How can we prevent such a foul thing from happening again? But finally, we are left with why. That is the big, obliterating question. The reasons why serial killers commit the acts of violence they do are a puzzle that few, if any, can accurately piece together. Not even the killers themselves. When we can't understand the horrific actions of these people, we label them as monsters or inhumane, perhaps as a way to distance ourselves from them and what they have done but they aren't creatures of the night or from another world. The bogeyman hiding under your bed. Maybe the most disturbing thing of all is that they could have been anyone's neighbours, anyone's brother or sister, anyone's child, someone's parents. And the terrifying truth is, they were. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Lisa Goldstein, 
and everyone who supports us through Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.